Welcome to the Gate Crashers Podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your ivory tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president at McGregor and Liedeke. And I'm your self-publishing insider, Carice Crow, novelist and speaker. For some years before the pandemic, I would be a faculty or a, I don't know, agent at some of Chuck Sambuccino's conferences. And Chuck is a longtime industry guy. Yeah. Um, And he throws these like really short one day intensive conferences that are mostly geared toward getting writers in front of agents and like FaceTime with agents. Sure. Um, And he just sent an invite out for 2022, which means that conferences are ramping up again. So that was exciting, but it got me thinking about how at his little one day conferences, uh, there's always the session where the agents sit on, you know, a panel at the front of the room and the room is like full of people and there is a stack of papers on the front table and they are first pages of the manuscripts that the people in the seats have submitted for review right they're just like page ones all right yeah i've encountered this it is it's a gauntlet it takes either a lot of courage or stupidity i feel like (laughs) i've always thought it seemed terrifying they called it like american idol almost where chuck will read the page and as soon as an agent decides that they would have stopped reading the submission at that point the agent raises their hand and once they have like three hand raises then it's done the page is done it doesn't get to be finished and then there's commentary on why we why we raised our hands when we did. But it does seem absolutely terrifying yeah. and like the opposite of helpful, in my opinion, because I know as an agent sitting at the front of the room, I feel like all of this pressure to like seem a certain way with how uh, how high is how high of standards I have and like right. <laughs> it's it's and then like arguing with other agents about well I didn't mind that part I had this issue with it <laughs> and it's just very like it feels very fake but it's also real in a sense and the people the feedback that he's gotten and that I've heard and it's why he keeps doing this uh this session is because people love it they mm-hmm love hearing the thought process behind why did you stop reading after paragraph one right (laughs) what was so wrong about that paragraph so terrible so i thought uh let's do something fun for the gate crashers community if you will sure let's open it up So if you're listening and if you've got a page one that you are dying to know what an agent would think about it, AKA me, what a self-publishing professional would think about it, AKA Carice, then we want to see 
your first pages and we will read them on the air. full page <laughs> we as well we will we'll still call page. when we would have stopped it but i think in the interest of fairness i just think the full page should be read because i think that could change people's minds too and i don't know any readers because when it comes right down to it it's a reader's perspective that's going to matter that's going to make the difference of mm-hmm. if your books actually sell or not um and i don't know a single reader who wouldn't get to the end of the chapter or the right. end of the scene before deciding oh no i'm not you know right. doing this i nope i don't know anybody who would get to the end of a paragraph unless it was a really egregious paragraph so i think yeah the first page is yeah. what we'll do and we will read it and let everyone know when we would have stopped if mm-hmm. we would have stopped yeah and then comments concerns <laughs> feedback we would provide at the end and it would be completely anonymous i want everyone to know that this is completely anonymous all we would need is the genre we want the genre and the first page double spaced in a microsoft word document emailed to me and that's amanda at mcgregor literary m-a-c-g-r-e-g-o-r literary.com and that's it it's out there it's it's out there now now you're in for it it's been out there people just don't take the time to look as a little warmer for this carice and i have a surprise for everyone yeah we're gonna also in the interest of fairness you know if we're gonna ask you to uh bear part of your soul Mm-hmm. on air i think it's only fair if we do it a little bit as well so yeah. i have volunteered myself as tribute and then amanda has volunteered my husband ben as tribute <laughs> as well excellent oh only so, yeah that's that's the kind of energy i want to see coming out of her for 2022 <laughs> that's it gonna put ben through the gauntlet 2022 that's perfect my, that's perfect my, that's my word uh all right, so let's do it. So, Chris, you're going to read your, and yes. in fairness, again, also in transparency, I've got a copy in front of me so that I can follow can follow along. along. Yes. So I'm going to read for you the first page of Ignite, which is a young adult fantasy novel allegedly written by me. Okay. Chapter one. Stephen Parson had two things on his mind, getting out of the oppressive Kansas heat and abducting the last two names on his list. He saw Jace before his sister arrived, 16, tall, muscular, dark-haired, and sporting a farmer's tan. The teen looked like he played football or at least carried his own weight on the family farm. Someone who knew his way around a farm would be useful. Stephen surveyed the park. He hoped to see Nora marching toward him, striding up the gravel road and cursing the humid weather, but there was still no sign of her. Cottonwood Falls was a perfectly acceptable place for anyone that enjoyed living where there were no stoplights. The most exciting in-town attractions were a bank, a bridge, and a courthouse. But Stephen understood the appeal of living in a small community. That's what Lumen was, technically. And like any small community, they needed to induct new members in order to thrive. But Jace didn't know that yet. Stephen pulled out his phone, a relic of cellular technology. The screen displayed only one background color, but he didn't need anything complicated. 
His fingers hesitated over the rubbery buttons and he held off on sending a panicked message. She could be here at any second after all, literally. He tried to brush away his feelings of annoyance. It had been a long day already. They were on pickup 15 of 16, just two more left. He held his distance and watched Jace. Their eyes met. Jace broke their eye contact, his gaze lingering on Stephen's old phone. The teen smiled before turning away, pacing in lazy circles around the decommissioned war tank near the park's memorial. He tapped rapidly on his own touchscreen. Stephen considered what the average Cottonwood Falls citizen would expect to get out of life. Some small towns were doomed to weather and die, the population moving away for better employment. Others seemed to trap their residents in a hereditary cycle of mediocre achievement with most people never leaving the community. Both lacked good leadership, a quality Stephen prided himself on. The last census he'd found listed the population of Cottonwood Falls at 869. But today, quietly, and with no one to bear witness to it, the population would drop to 868. With a tiny pop, Nora appeared at his side. She met her brother's scathing look with a bored one of her own. You know I can't resist Paris in the summer. Mm. And that's page one of Ignite. You didn't stop me. Mm, I don't know. If maybe I didn't. You, sh- you should have stopped me and you were like sparing my feelings. <laughs> no, I, there was nothing. First of all, that was really good, Carice. And I'm not just like. Thank you blowing smoke I Our listeners can't see this but I'm doing like an Ariana Grande hair flip <laughs> like like I did it <laughs> I got it I want it somebody get me champagne Amanda said there's nothing wrong with my first page it's amazing there isn't anything wrong with the first. there's so many things to um bring you in the obviously the abduction, obviously the population number, as if this is something that happens frequently, the um, f- the number of hits that this dude is doing or whatever, I don't know what's going on, but the fact that he's keeping tally of how much he has to do or whatever. Um, there's a lot of things interesting. The only point of confusion, and this would have been cleared up if I would have just kept reading, would have been, I thought like, I assumed Nora was Jace's sister. Yeah, I got that too when I was reading and I was like, oh, that's not super clear immediately. (laughs) I was like self-editing as I was reading. I was like, yeah, but it's like really clear later in the book whose sister she is. So it would have been. eh. Yeah. So that was the only thing is I was expecting. I I thought he was waiting for the sister to show up because he was going to like abduct them both. Gotcha. And then she showed up and she was like beside Steven. And I was like, wait, was that, was that like a typo or am I, I would, I would have just kept reading to figure out like. I could have, yeah, I could have written it tighter, but no, Nora does the abducting. She, uh, so like her magical ability is basically teleportation. So she can just grab you and take you, which is why she was like, I can't resist Paris in the summer because they would have like, so in my head, they had just finished an abduction she drops him off and is like, I'm going to go grab lunch. And Stephen's like, this is so extra. Nora's very extra. And then she would have popped off to like Paris, go have lunch at a cafe. You know, she's, she's just done 14 of these pickups. She's, she needs a break. So hmm. I didn't yeah. consider what time of day it was in Paris at this time though. It's probably middle of the night. <laughs> I mean, but if she's like a socialite or like a party, I mean, right. she seems like kind yeah. of a haphazard I mean, Paris, type 
Paris probably never sleeps. I'm sure there's always something to do. Yeah, in Paris. I, I would assume so. And the, another funny thing that stands out to me that um, only because, you know, we're hyper focusing on a page is Jace was doing this weird thing where he was like going in circles or he was like, what was yeah. he doing? Just like, like, okay. I just have this funny visual <laughs> in my head of this like, derp, 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 like just like. <laughs> So like, so chapter one is like not indicative of the rest of the book. It's just establishing normal basically while setting up the ticking time bomb that comes at the end of chapter one. And so later on in that chapter, we get to our actual main character. Her name is Nail and she is playing this mobile game on her phone, which is exactly like Pokemon Go. Um, And so if you've ever been out and about and you've seen people who are like, fighting gyms at po- on Pokemon Go. That's what they do. They just stand there and they pace. Yeah. And it's just weird people standing around monuments. But it's it's a great tactic. Like if you need to get a 16-year-old and keep them like in one spot for like 15, 20 minutes yeah. because your spaz of an extra sister like likes to pop off to Paris. Perfect. We know where the yeah. kid's going to be for like 20 minutes. We know when he's going to be there. It's great. That makes sense. Yeah. See, it makes sense. So that was fun and it's fun it's also fun that in this process as polished as it is you still reading it aloud you still found something that you're like oh maybe i could tweak that and that Uh, just shows like yeah yeah, that could have been clear dang books are never done they're just abandoned exactly it's just you get so sick of it (laughs) like i don't care get it out of my sight hit the publish button we're going not everything can be perfect. So next one. So this is page one of um, a book called What the Frost, which is written by Ben. Um, it's holiday. It's humor. It's a little bit horror. It's absurd, I would say. Is there is there a literary genre just absurd? So. There very well could be. A shriek snapped Santa out of his slumber, and he jerked upright. (laughs) I would stop reading right there. Santa is just not for you, is it? (laughs) As soon as I would read the word Santa, yes, I would be like, what am I going to do with this? I can't sell this anywhere. (laughs) I would be be sending a rejection. Anyway, continue But he's not submitting to you, which is what he's saying sitting next to me in the car when we're listening to this. Guarantee. Okay. Love you, dear. A shriek snapped Santa out of his slumber and he jerked upright. His heavy stocking clad feet hit the floor and his girth spilled out of the bed as he stood. Another shriek. A woman's voice? No, it belonged to Crandall, one of Santa's elves and the North Pole's stable master. Santa clapped his hands twice and the LED lights on the ceiling gleamed to life. The door flung open and Shelly Claus, Santa's wife, stormed in. Her evergreen nightgown clung to her in all the right places, but she wore a mask of terror. Nick, you've got to come now. It's Crandall. Crandall wailed again, this time crying for Santa by name. Santa rubbed the sleep from his eyes. He glanced at the clock on the nightstand. 3.25 p.m. Samoan time. 14 hours until his first delivery, but he'd awakened 35 minutes early. Rather, Crandall's shrieks had awakened him. Now, Nick! Shelley insisted. 
He's hurt bad. Santa's heart pounded faster as he lumbered past Shelley and into their expansive living room. Thick pine logs formed towering brown walls and multicolored Christmas lights lined the festive upper perimeter of the ceiling. Crandall lay in the center of the living room, surrounded by an expanding pool of blood on the lacquered pine wood floor. In place of his left hand, a red stump oozed blood. Crandall clutched his wrist with his right hand, moaning and writhing on the floor. Santa rushed over to him. Jumping gingerbread! What happened, Crandall? And that's where I'm going to stop us. Hmm. It is very interesting. <laughs> so my, here's what I would probably ask the author if I were, you know, taking this as a book pitch. Mm -hmm. I know this, what I would ask. I bet, I, I bet we are going to say the same thing. I, so I, this is so dumb, but my mind went to, he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. Why didn't he know that Crandall needed his help? <laughs> because that only counts for children. I, I'm, I'm betting that like, if I were to ask him that, that would, okay. well, that's only for children that he okay. has those magical abilities. And that would be something that then in a face-to-face -face pitch, Ben could be like, oh, I cover that in, right. you know, such yeah. and such. So that is, yeah, that would be, yeah. that would be, honestly, that would probably be my first question would be, why doesn't he, is that, doesn't Santa know everything? Why is he, act, like, why is he surprised? Anyway, right. your reaction to the story? Um. Oh, I thought you were going to say something uh, in the vein of who is... Tell me about your reader. Who's the reader? <laughs> because that would be like, that would be my concern as an agent. Like you said, like yeah. you've said, I can't sell yeah. holiday horror humor with yeah. Santa as a main character. And I'll tell you that there is a readership for this type of book. They are out there. They do read ridiculous things. And that's absolutely who he was marketing it to. Um, especially like the... Uh, readers who enjoy things like game lit lit rpg that kind of okay absurdist um male author male protagonist a little bit of toilet humor kind yeah. of like that that yeah. reader is out there for yeah. sure and that's who the book is targeted at yeah and um and that absolutely would be like the reason i would stop at the word santa which was like the fourth word into the book is because like i who is the audience who right. who are you target it's it's not in my opinion that audience is not big enough how do i even want to phrase this there i know it's a mass i know like the lit rpg group is a massive group but i just don't know if there would be like like where would we put this on store shelves right. where would we how would we get it in front of the right people through the traditional process and mm -hmm. is there a big enough readership of this specific style of that kind of like lit rpg thing that right. is it big enough to warrant let's do this book <laughs> let's you know try right. to tap into this market and even if the market is large enough is that market clamoring right. for holiday horror humor featuring santa right you know right so yeah and, an agent would have 
concerns. And that's why. Capital C. <laughs> exactly. And that's why it would be very difficult for Ben to place it with an agent and probably even a traditional publisher, which is why self-publishing makes so much sense for this right. story. Um, because just because it wouldn't work in the traditional circles doesn't mean it wouldn't work. Right. <laughs> like, right. Just, there's a difference in scale. Like a traditional publisher would need to sell a lot more copies to be happy than Ben would need to sell. Yep. Uh, so there is a taste of what we hope to do if you guys send us your first pages. So again, send us uh, your first page of your manuscript. Include include the title, include the genre, double space. Send it to my email address, amanda at mcgregorliterary.com. That's M-A-C-G-R-E-G-O-R, literary.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Gatecrashers podcast. If you found value in this episode or in any of the episodes we've done, you can drop a tip in our tip jar. Tips help to offset the cost of the podcast, and they'll also help us grow bigger and better. You can send a tip via PayPal. Simply use our link, paypal.me slash gatecrashers, or log into PayPal and search us using our username, which is at gatecrashers. And be sure to be here next week for a brand new episode.